with the wildfire plan, it should be quick, simple, and practiced. Uh, that way it can be effectively implemented when it needs to be. Welcome to Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. A look at the changing risk and resilience landscape with insights on the challenges facing businesses today and tomorrow. Hello, my name is David Hilgen, and today we're going to talk about wildfires. What causes wildfires? Why is the risk growing? And what businesses and individuals can do to protect themselves from this natural hazard? Once again, I will be speaking with Mike Whittekind, who is Property Technical Director for Risk Engineering for the Zurich Services Corporation. Mike and I spoke a few months ago about hurricanes, and we're still in the thick of the hurricane season, but today the focus is on wildfires. Mike, welcome back to the Future of Risk podcast. Uh, thank you, David, and thanks for having me again on the podcast. Mike, let's dive right into this, because as we speak, wildfires are raging in the Western United States and in British Columbia, Canada, as well as in Russia, Greece, I believe Italy as well. What gives? Is it? Is it it's just a typical summer around the globe, or are we seeing more and more intense wildfires this year? Uh, David, I, we are seeing more and more intense wildfires on average across the globe. Um, this does have to do with uh, climate change. And I think the wildfire cycles will just be more severe uh, going forward, and I think there's evidence uh, of that today. From 2011 to 2020, there were an average of about 62, almost 63,000 wildfires. That destroyed roughly about 7.5 million acres. Uh, last year, in 2020, well, we, we lost almost 60,000 acres, um, um, burned, well, 60,000 wildfires in about 10 million acres. And that was the second most acreage impact in a year since 1960 and nearly 40% of those acres were in California, and nearly half the acres impacted uh, were on National Fire Service lands. So that's a significant increase, um, up 40% since 1960. And as of um, August 6th of this year, uh, nearly 39,000 wildfires have impacted uh, over um, 3.4 million acres. Uh, the nationwide preparedness level this year is at a maximum level of five, um, and that really suggests there's a significant commitment of resources, and also that's starting to stretch the uh, the fire service resources as well. It's interesting. I know you said National Fire Services lands. I know you meant National Fire Services lands, but you can be excused for uh, saying that because if they're burning that much, they might as well be renamed National Fire Services lands. So. <laughs> Good oh, it's my understanding that wildfires are naturally occurring phenomena that are as old as fire itself. So why are they so destructive and deadly today? Um, although wildfires may have a beneficial impact on the ecological resources, uh, they also have a devastating impact, especially for communities uh, affected by the wildfire activities. Wildfires begin with a source of ignition, uh, such as unintended human activity. That could be carelessly discarded cigarette materials or inappropriately handled campfires. Uh, there is uh, a small percentage that are intended um, human activity, which would be arson. 
Uh, some of these are started by lightning. And then we've also had wildfires that have uh, started uh, from power lines, either arcing faults or overgrown trees falling onto the power lines. Most of the wildfires are in fact human caused, 88% on average. That was over a period from 2016 to 2020. Although the wildfires caused by lightning tend to be slightly larger and burn more acreage, 55% um, of the average acreage burned from 2016 to 2020 was ignited by lightning. So one thing that we have to consider is the wildfire and the fuel. Uh, wildfires require a natural fuel supply, uh, which may increase in, in three ways. The Forestry Service Extinguishing naturally occurring wildfires, that enables unburned fuel to accumulate because we want to get that fire out as soon as we can. There's, we've had bouts of insects and disease that overwhelm the forest, leaving behind large dead brush and also trees. And then we have forested areas experiencing wet periods, supporting a growth of lush vegetation. And then that, that time frame is followed by uh, a dry one, and that increases the areas of dead uh, dehydrated vegetation. I've often read that, you know, a, a wet spring in California could lead to a, a nasty uh, wildfire season because there's lots of growth in the spring. And, uh, and don't even get me started with the bark beetle. I've been hearing about the bark beetle for a long time, and it's killing trees which are burning up everywhere from Colorado to California. I want to talk now about the phases of wildfire risk mitigation. We just published a uh, wildfire resource hub on futureofrisk.com, which goes into lots of details on what businesses can do at the risk of wildfire. Um, it talks about what business should do before the start of the wildfire season, what to do during wildfire season and as wildfire approaches, and then steps to take as you recover from wildfire damage. So briefly, uh, Mike, can you just Go over, like, let's say the first threat of wildfire is months away. What, if anything, should businesses be doing now? Sure. So, uh, again, you did a great um, description there of the four phases of emergency management, which are mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. When we look at what should be in the wildfire plan, uh, four locations exposed to wildfires, uh, they should consider preparing um, an emergency operations plan addressing actions to take before, during, and after the wildfire event. They need to keep in mind that the wildfire plan is likely part of a larger emergency response program for their organization, um, but the wildfire plan is specific. It should include a fire team organized to support the firefighters, because that's most important when they have to come on site, conducting a business impact analysis to assess the business resiliency of the overall site or the organization. Uh, if they lose a site that's exposed to wildfire, how do they recover? Can they make up that capacity at other sites? Business continuity plan to mitigate the impact uh, of an emergency on a location. Again, that's looking at other sites, uh, that's practicing uh, what the plan that they've developed. And a group uh, level plan, uh, business continuity management plan uh, to mitigate the impact of interrupting uh, anything that may affect one or more locations during a wildfire event. And with any of these plans, uh, even with the wildfire plan, it should be quick, simple, and practiced. Uh, that way it can be effectively implemented when it needs to be. That makes sense. So now you've got all your fire-resistant ducks in a row. Summertime is here. The weather's getting hotter and drier. Uh, you've got your plan. It's practiced. It's 
just like you said, it's quick, it's simple. What should businesses be doing now to protect their properties and their people? Very simply, verify each wildfire exposed location is aware of its local wildfire season, what that may be, because they're different in different areas of, of the country here in North America and also uh, in the globe. And they're prepared for any unexpected wildfires outside of the locally defined season. Um, California now, uh, I believe, has just stated wildfire seasons all year. Uh, so these things don't necessarily occur during a specific time frame any longer. Yeah, I, I believe that. It seems like it's all year. It's in the news all year long. Um, other than fleeing to safety and making sure your employees are also safe, is there anything businesses should be doing when the threat of wildfire is imminent? I, I understand that standing your ground with a garden hose is probably not recommended. No, I think if I could mention two things that are really important, the first would be the loss leader in the commercial space is is soot. So we want to make sure that uh, we protect the building openings, and that's providing a means to keep not only windborne embers, uh, but also soot and smoke from entering the building. And that's permanently closing those openings wherever possible using tight-fitting non-combustible materials. The other thing that's really important is to support the public fire service. Those things include like maintaining the site entrances so they're clearly marked, make the entrances uh, large enough to accommodate the emergency vehicles uh, that are responding to the wildfire event, extend their defensible space to include each entrance so burning vegetation is less likely to hamper access to the site if it is a large site. And then provide water sources for access. Clearly identify any water sources on the site, fire hydrants, uh, retention ponds, any kind of storage tanks or wells that may be used by the fire department um, during the, the uh, firefighting operation. And then maintain access to each of those water sources for their vehicles. I notice in commercial buildings, the water connections are usually very clearly marked. It's understandable why, especially in an emergency situation. Finally, Okay, the wildfire threat has passed. Now it's time to assess the damage to your business. Could be anything from smoke damage to like complete destruction. What are the steps businesses should take now to allow them to resume operations after the fire? One of the most important items, and we briefly mentioned this previously, is to make sure that the soot is cleared away from air intakes before starting uh, the equipment and that could be uh, fans, generators, whatever equipment would be bringing outside air into the building. Starting equipment before clearing soot uh, could allow soot to be ingested into the building or a generator uh, engine. And, and if it's ingested through the mechanical system, the HVAC system, it's likely gonna get transported throughout the entire building space. And you know, customers have to keep in mind that that soot also needs to be cleared off of roof spaces where we have different roof elevations where we may have air intakes to face a roof uh, so we're not pulling that soot off the roof surface that would be the most important thing uh, to do following the wildfire mike you mentioned uh the the problem with uh soot after a wildfire gathering on rooftops and how that could lead to a loss could you give a little more detail about that explain how that might uh cause a commercial loss? 
when smoke is pulled in through um, the HVAC system and pushed out uh, into areas of the building, um, that creates, could potentially create um, breakdown in equipment uh, at a later date, uh, particularly in any kind of electronic equipment. So not only does the HVAC system need to be cleaned, clean technically is the term, they have to look at all the, if it's an office building, say they'll have to go to the spaces in the, in the office on the floors and check to see if smoke hasn't migrated, it's not on the cubicles, it's not on the computer equipment. And wherever they find that, as they do their investigation, uh, those areas will all have to be cleaned. That just adds to the business interruption time for the facility getting back up and operational. These are buildings that typically didn't suffer any other uh, wildfire loss too. I mean, Absolutely. They did all the right things. They covered up the air intakes and just, you know, that not cleaning and, and being mindful of the soot that could still be on the outside of the building, particularly on the roof areas uh, where the intakes are located, is something they really need to pay attention to. This is starting to become a real problem with losses, um, you know, because the industrial hygienists now go around with lift tape, just yes. sticking on the back. <laughs> it, it looks like something they use um, to lift fingerprints. We had a loss in Pittsburgh at an office building downtown, started in the basement. It was a duck bank fire. It's an electrical fire, like a 40 volt fire, and it pumped black smoke in a lot of places. Well, they're on the 15th, 16th floor, and they're picking up smoke particles on cubicles. So all that has to be cleaned. So not only does the duct work and all that have to be cleaned, but everywhere the soot goes out, if it's on the cubicle, if it's on the computers or whatever it is, all that stuff has to be cleaned, wiped down, vacuumed before so, people so can go back into the building. I've heard horror stories about uh, the businesses that have survived a, a wildfire, but then had a loss after the uh, air intakes were uh, powered up and filled the building with soot. And that's happened uh, more than once. So that's absolutely that's, you must have seen a lot in your 30 plus years in loss prevention. It, tell me what you've seen or heard of, you know, what it's like at this, after the destructive effects of a wildfire. I think with any other um, destructive natural hazard event, in this case, the wildfire, the impact of wildfires on the quality of life and the economies of the communities surrounding the wildfire activity is greatly impacted. And, and, and moreover, the length of time for the post-wildfire recovery and site restoration, it's very lengthy. Communities sometimes recover, sometimes they don't. People leave, they move to other areas, they don't come back. Uh, it just impacts the overall uh, economy in that area. So that's the most devastating impact from wildfire. Good point. So Mike, you earned a degree in fire protection engineering from the University of Maryland. I will say go Terps. You've corrected me. I like to call them the turtles because I see a lot of cartoonish mascots, but uh, I know they are the Terps. Fear the turtle. Fear the turtle. What is the most important lesson you learned there that is still relevant today? I think with any engineering discipline, the key takeaway as you embark on your career is we take an oath to protect life, property, and the public welfare, and we work hard at that every single day. I'm glad you're out there fighting a the good fight. Mike, I want to thank you for joining us on the Future Risk Podcast, but you're not getting off that easily. This is your second visit with us on the podcast. Uh, you didn't get a chance to answer our lightning round of questions that are typically more personal and not related to the main topic. So if you're ready, here goes. What is the most important leadership skill to learn? Most important leadership skill is to be a good listener. 
also a good uh, skill for spouses as well. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of kids wanted to be firefighters when they grow up. What did you want to be? All right. So initially I started uh, my career in the fire service, actually at the age of 16. Um, but then I kind of wanted to move over to the prevention side of this trade, uh, if we want to call it that. So uh, I wanted to go into the engineering side and, and rather try to prevent the fire from occurring in the first place rather than uh, waiting to uh, do something after it happens. So you actually did want to be a firefighter growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, season? Talking meteorological season, not natural hazard season. Uh, let's say probably fall is my favorite season. Um, that's just after hurricane season ends, and we got a few months before the before the winter season starts. So I think that's uh, meteorologically that's my favorite time of year. And I can imagine you think about natural hazards all the time. Can you go anywhere? Vacations, business travel, without playing risk manager, without assessing buildings based on their proximity to trees and waterways, and uh, do, do you just do that all the time? I think it's in your nature once you're in uh, this business to do those kind of things. But eventually, you learn how to disconnect, um, so you can have that quality time and uh, get refreshed. Uh, but yes. You know, when I go in a restaurant, I look up, make sure it's sprinkler, look at the exits, make sure they're not blocked by tables. Uh, I do the same thing my other counterparts are doing. So it's habit. That makes sense. You're keeping yourself uh, sharp, you know, You're working all the time. I am, um, as a writer and editor by trade, I can't read news articles without editing them in my mind. So, Mike, I want to thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. And I uh, also want to thank our listeners for tuning into this Future of Risk podcast. I'm David Hilgen. Future of Risk, presented by Zurich North America. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you left a comment or review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Let us know what you think at media at ZurichNA.com and join us next week. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained here may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice, and accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you.